This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Jump Statistical Discovery Software from SAS. Jump, spelled J-M-P, is an easy-to-use tool that connects powerful analytics with interactive graphics. The drag-and-drop interface of Jump enables quick exploration of data to identify patterns, interactions, and outliers. Jump has a scripting language for reproducibility and interfacing with R. Click on this episode's sponsored link to receive a free info kit that includes an interview with DataViz experts Kaiser Fung and Alberto Cairo. In the interview, they discuss information gathering, analysis, and communicating results. Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode, I'm very excited to have with me as a guest, Zan Gregg, who is Research and Development Director at Jump, which is a division of SAS. Jump, as you may know, is a longtime supporter of the show. So I'm really glad to have Zan on, not only because of the support from Jump, but also because he does a lot of very interesting work with lots of different things. And if you don't follow him on Twitter, you really should, because he's um, got a lot of great resources and insights uh, on how to use Jump and other a variety of other tools. So, Zan, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Glad to be here. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you, especially about some of the work you've done making over different visualizations. And I want to get your take on some of your, maybe you have some pet peeves in data visualization. Maybe you don't. We'll see. But before we dive into that, can you yeah. maybe introduce yourself for folks at home and, and maybe talk about Jump a little bit and, and, and what it can do with respect to data visualization? Okay, glad to. I'm a software developer by trade, and I sometimes say I'm an amateur data scientist. I've been focusing on more sort of data analysis and data visualization software for the past 15 years or so. And so part of that is actually not just writing the code, but exercising it and trying out things. Jump is a division of SAS, which is a big stack company. But Jump itself, it's spelled JMP, is a desktop product for Mac and Windows and it's, uh, stats. it does statistics with a focus on interactivity and visualization. One of the founding principles of Jump is that every statistic has a graph. Um, and so that makes it easier for people that aren't statisticians. Our, our main focus is more scientists and engineering. Um, it makes it easier for them to you know, understand what they're seeing. And everything is sort of personal and right in front of you as opposed to being somewhere in the cloud and more enterprise kind of product. So that's what um, a little bit about what Jump is. It's you know it's mostly UI driven. We have a scripting language for when you want to you know do something, make something reproducible, um, so that you can run it again the next day. Um, basically, you know you can use the UI, discover something, um, save it to a script, and uh, get it, make it repeatable. Um, so we like that combination. Um, some people never go into the scripting. Some people are just gung ho scripting all the time. But that's, you know, a little bit of jump in a nutshell. Um, yeah. So you said that all statistics have a graph. And yet yesterday I watched a, um, a video of one of your talks where the title was uh, All Graphs Are Wrong, But Some Are Useful, uh, which I'll post on the show notes page. But can you, can you talk, a little bit about, uh, <laughs> talk a little bit about that talk and, and, and your perspective on that? Sure. Um, first of all, for people that aren't, uh, you know, don't follow statistics, the title is a reference to this famous statistician, George Box, had an um, aphorism, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And I sort of took a play off of that, the idea being, you know, graphs, you know, like models are just representations of the world. So they're 
you know, they're wrong in that sense that they aren't exactly the world. They're some approximation. But um, more, more to the point of what I, what I spoke about was about how, you know, there's a lot of error in graphs, not just the data. I mean, the data has error in it, variation, but also our perception. We don't see exactly what the data is behind the graph. Even, well, you've probably seen the perceptual studies like the seminal one by Cleveland McGill, where they ranked visual attributes. But even then, you know, the highest ranked attribute position was still had like a 3% error, and the lowest was not even that much worse. Um, it was like 12 or 15% or something. Um, so they all, you know, all graphs, even the best ones, have some uh, perceptual error, and it's just something it's good to keep in mind as we're making graphs. They all have some kind of message, and we have to realize that there's some loss of information just by the fact that our perception system is not perfect. It's not a uh, our eyes are not a camera, and our our brain is not a computer. Those are mm. useful models, but they're not uh, exactly right. Yeah, and when and when you're working on developing a data visualization software, when you're thinking about permitting or letting the user choose a, a graph or or guiding them through a graph, are you thinking about these sorts of perceptual issues? Are you are you trying to guide them into using a, a one particular graph type over another. For example, if I go into the Excel uh, drop-down menu, I have 3D cones and I have all this sort of things that I would argue we shouldn't be using. But are you thinking about these perceptual issues as you're designing the software to guide the user to certain things and maybe away from other things? Definitely, yeah. Probably William Cleveland's books on uh, visualizing graphs, visualizing data, I guess was it called, was very important. For me, and recognizing the importance of defaults, defaulting to basically dot plots um, as the default view for almost any data set. One of the parts of Jump that I'm responsible for is called Graph Builder, which is a general, you know, general purpose make a graph from from some data, and it has to pick some default view, and it normally uses a a dot plot unless you've got millions of points. In that, in that case, it might summarize it with a box plot or something. So it definitely informs the defaults, and it also informs the priorities. We don't even have 3D cones. Maybe if we had, you know, as many developers as Microsoft does, we might add it to the bottom of the list. But Perfect. given that, <laughs> given that we have limited resources, we don't even get to the bottom of the list. Yeah, um, it definitely plays into defaults and uh, priorities. And how are you thinking about your user base as opposed to say Microsoft? Right. So Microsoft's user base is basically everybody, whereas a user of Jump, a user of SaaS is a different type of user, you know, is programming in a statistical language. How are you, how do, how do you sort of segment the audience in that different way? Um, well, they're not all programmers for sure. Um, a lot of our users are just using the, the menus and, and doing analyses or, you know, just creating graphs or, or usually both. Um, but they're a little more technical, which is in a way it's a bit of a crutch for us because we don't have to make things as generic, the language and things like that. Sometimes mm-hmm. we can use technical language. Um, which we wouldn't be able to do if we were doing it for you know everybody in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the main difference is they're just a little more scientific. Um, but as far as you know, there's some plenty of things that are universal. We don't you know just UI design and basically trying to meet expectations is the important thing for us. It's, it may you know some things we do might be a little a little tricky, but we want them, you know, once you learn the jump way, we want them to always uh, live up to that way. Right. And do you find that there are certain things that your users 
prioritize over other things. I mean, they're prioritizing speed versus elegance of the final product. Are there things that you find that they, that they really prioritize? It's pretty broad. Um, I mean, different users have different priorities. Speed is mm-hmm. definitely a priority for us. And, um, you know, some, you know, being able to handle unlimited amount of data. Well, we're limited by the amount of memory in a machine, not much of a limit these days. Um, uh, some users are w- wanting to have the most advanced, you know, stat techniques, you know, the gradient boosting and things like that, which we have. Some of them want a very specialty um, kind of, you know, just part of the application, like they want um, control charts or survival analysis or things like that. They're a little more specialized. Right. All right. But it's generally, you know, you know, because of that diversity, a lot of companies just like the fact that Jump, you know, has a has a breadth of all those things. Um, but still with one sort of core focus. Sure. Um, one of the other things that you do, or at least that I see publicly, um, aside from work on Jump, are the makeovers you do. Um, and I'll post a number of different ones that, you've, that uh, we've been sort of talking about offline uh, onto the show notes page. So um, I think the one that I found interesting for a couple of different reasons is the wall street journal measles heat map that you remade in, in Mm -hmm. Um, Mm general, just because I, I I think that's a a really interesting uh, example of an alternative to way to show a fairly standard time series uh, graph. Um, Can you sort of walk through for us what your thinking is when you are remaking a graph, you know, what are your goals? What are you looking for when you are going to remake something? What, what goes through your mind? Did you say, this is a graph I want to remake and, and write a blog post about it and, and share with, you know, share the world with the world. I want to share them this thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was, um, that was a lot of fun. And that was one that a lot of people, um, actually several folks wrote about and did some, a little bit of, uh, criticism and commentary. Um, so that one should be widely known. But it was, a, you know, it's a heat map of measles rates in the U.S. over time with every state and every year getting a colored cell. Well, just to step back a little bit on the general question of why and, and you know, several reasons. One is just, you know, to educate myself, practice practice the craft, basically, trying to see if I can create what they created or I can do something a little different or a little better, explore and share that with other people if if it does end up being something that might be better or might be more suitable in a if you had a different message with the same data, for instance. And I also want to basically sort of QA the, the graphic to, you know, make sure it came out right, which sometimes I've done, done, you know, tried to redo things and it turned out to find an error in the original. Um, so that's gratifying. Um, but the, the Wall Street Journal heat map was, um, was interesting because it, the data was different than I thought it would be when I got the data um, from their source because it had a lot of missing values in it which they didn't uh, focus too much on in the original. I mean, they had they, they indicated when the whole year was missing, but not when half the year was missing. And that sort of you know brought up an interesting question of what do you do when half the year is missing? Do you assume it was zero for that half the year or um, assume it was you know the same as the half year you have? Um, so there's all different ways you might want to show that um, or indicate it or throughout the whole year or, or whatever. Um, so it's I think that's you know one of the valuable things about trying to do the makeovers is you realize it's a little more complicated than it looks. I mean, the data is a little more complicated. It's not as clean as it looks or as you would expect. Um, and you might discover why they did certain things. Um, I, when I first saw that heat map, actually, you know, I first saw it, it looked, you know, I thought 
wow, this is great. You know, the country had measles and then it didn't have measles. So it works in that sense. But then I, I sort of um, didn't like the color scheme a little bit because it goes from blue to green to red or maybe yellow to red. Um, and it wasn't quite perceptually aligned. And I thought, you know, I'll try something that's a little more sequential color scheme. And then you realize, well, they did it that way because of the it's very skewed data. Um, you know, there's very high rates at the beginning of the century and then low rates after that. And if you just did a plain sequential scheme, you wouldn't be able to see both of the you know, amount of variation. So I can understand a little bit why they did the multiple colors. Maybe not. I never understood why they mixed in green in there. I can imagine just going, you know, light blue to dark blue and light red to dark red or something. Yeah. But those are the kind of things that come up as you try these makeovers. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of these, well, not a lot, but there's a few of these projects out there with makeovers. I think right now the most popular one is probably the Monday Makeover Project from the from a couple of folks at Tableau. There's also my Help Me Viz mm-hmm. project. There's Cross Validated, and there's other sorts of mm-hmm. things out there. People uh, doing makeovers. And a couple of years ago, uh, Fernando Villegas and Martin Wattenberg wrote a post about the responsibility of the person doing the makeover. So when you are doing a makeover or you're seeing other people do makeovers, how do you feel the person doing the makeover? What what are the responsibilities or even the ethics of the person doing the makeover with respect to the you know the person who created the original? I mean a lot of a lot of the things that we are making over are we're not exactly asking the original creator, "Hey, do you mind if I take a look at this? Do you mind if I edit it or or do a makeover?" Um we're just sort of taking and saying, "I don't I think this could be improved." So do you, do you think there are challenges there? Do you think there are ethical issues there? I mean, where do you sort of see this this thing about making graphs over without sort of having a communication with the original uh, the original creator? Yeah, I haven't uh, thought about it from that angle. When I do a makeover, I um, you know, make sure to add attribution to, of the original. And usually when I show a picture of what I'm making over, I try to make it a sort of a thumbnail picture just so I don't want to I don't want to make it look like I'm trying to get attention by posting their graph essentially right um, um so that's you know that's about as far as i go in that angle i have contacted a few folks um when i was doing makeovers but it wasn't for that reason it was usually because i wanted to figure out why they did things a certain way or or um or get their original data but that uh, doesn't uh, i haven't actually got much success with that so i haven't been doing it uh, mm. lately I mean, it's it's an interesting but field. It's, yeah. it's just it's an interesting field because if we if we write a critical review of a book, let's just say, um, you don't see a lot of critics. I don't think sort of taking a passage out of a book and saying I didn't like this passage this way, and so I would rewrite it this way. But in in the field of data viz, we we tend to do that. We say I don't like it this way. Um, I'm going to try to remake it this other way. And in some senses, that I don't know if that's I don't know if it's good or better or worse. In some ways, we're trying to put our own spin on it or, or take a different view or at least, I guess, put ourselves on the line a little bit, right? Because we're saying, this is what I would have tried to, this is what I would try to do. And I think it's better, but, but also maybe not. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. It's not necessarily better, um, but you're just partly just showing some other ideas or other angles. Um, but I think it's, I mean, I feel like you're, you know, sort of like a level above normal criticism because you're actually, not just saying, you know, these colors are bad, these labels are bad, or whatever. You're actually trying to redo it. Um, so I think, in a way, that's a bit higher than, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of more ethical than a regular uh, critic- criticism. But I can see your point about the, 
you know, how it doesn't quite map well to, you know, to prose or something like that. Right. I mean, I think you have this thing where, you know, you, you remake a visualization and maybe the goal of the original author was to communicate to some particular audience. And I, as the person doing the makeover, say, oh, well, I would have done it this way. But the audience that I have in mind is slightly is, is a different audience. And therefore, my makeover maybe in some cases doesn't make sense to do it my way because I'm thinking about a different audience. So um, it's just, I think, an interesting responsibility that for those of us who are making things over to think about who the creator is um, and what, you know, what constraints or goals they have that we may not be aware of or that we may not share either obviously or, or sort of implicitly. Yeah. I think the audience is a big factor and that's, you know, the wall street journal heat map is a good example because that one's that one, you know, the original biz is probably great for, for its audience, but if you're trying to do a more something more analytical, then you might want to either you know both have your colors align more perceptually, or maybe even use a, a normal time series line graph or something like that. Right, yeah. right. I mean, you also make the good point that you can sometimes uh, discover um, issues or um, or even mistakes. So you, you mentioned that sort of mm-hmm. how, how do you deal with the missing data issue in the heat map one? You also did um, sort of a tile grid map thing, and uh, I think it was a summertime that Chris Ingram had done from the mm-hmm. post on mosquitoes. And if I recall correctly, you had found an error in, in for the Washington, D.C. data. Is that right? Yeah. Um, everything after Washington, D.C. was off by one, all the states mislabeled. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he had, he had two data sets he was merging, and one had D.C. and the other didn't and ended up uh, uh, getting getting messed up. Right. Um, um, so, that yeah, I mean, and that one, when I first looked at it, it was actually because it, you know, this doesn't look right. Why is, you know, Tennessee so much different from Arkansas, or why is Alabama so much different from Georgia? Um, and it turns out it's because you know Alabama was right, but Georgia was shifted, you know, was another state. Right, right. Well, yeah, I've mentioned yeah. that to him, and he, he corrected it right away. Um, this is on his uh, Washington Post wonk blog. Right, and I think part of that has to do with how you, as the person doing the makeover, approaches it. Right, if you approach it as you know, pointing fingers and, you know, with that sort of frowny face, critical eye, as opposed to I'm coming into it with this perspective of I'm just want to try it in this tool and I want to explore these data. I think, you know, that's where you get sort of a positive response from the original creator versus maybe a negative response you would from from someone else. So um, so I want to talk about um, or ask you about whether you have any are there any data viz practices or chart types that you're sort of a real absolutist about so we've got sort of like the pie chart debate obviously we have Stephen few on one side saying no round things ever and then we've got you know i don't know maybe like david mccandless on the other side using sort of all different shapes and and whatever so are there things that sort of drive you up the wall where you're like no 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 you should never ever do x um i wouldn't say it on an absolute level, but there's definitely a lot of things like that that'll make me cringe, and I'll avoid you know doing them personally. But right. um, I, I sort of I used to be a little more absolute about things, but I've come to realize you know sometimes you you know the actually a low precision graph is not that bad because your data is low precision or the message is not that critical. It's just a you know vaguely informative graph anyway. Or the data is, I mean, mm-hmm. um, and like I've mentioned in that. Uh, Bill Cleveland research about the ranking of the attributes. I mean, the best, you know, even though position was best at 3% error, the 
whatever color intensity or the last one was only like 15% air. So there's, I mean, it's not like it's, you know, they're that much different. Right. Not like one is 50% air or something. Um, for instance, I used to really cringe when I would see uh, pie charts in a financial report or something like that. You know, why is these, you know, money's important. I would think they should be using something more accurate, but then I realized, you know, people aren't making decisions based on that pie chart. They're, that's yeah. just sort of a little, you know, by the way, here's the vague idea of what, you know, how our assets are divided or something like that. Um, but if you really care, you're going to, you know, need to dive in more than that anyway. Mm-hmm. And the same is for likes of rainbow color scale or, um, or just round things in general, dual, <laughs> you know, dual Y axes or things like that. Um, right. Do you have any um, love or hate feelings or sentiments about interactivity or animation? I mean, that's a big thing. Everybody wants to be able to make, you know, the big interactive thing that they see on the New York Times or the Washington Post website. Do you have folks that you try to, like, talk back from the edge that they want to make big interactives or big animated things? You say, well, really, you just need a bar chart. You know, let's let's make the bar chart. Yeah, I usually will prefer, like, a um, panels of bar charts or, you know, small multiples kind of thing. Mm. Um, the, the animation is, I mean, I'm always seeing these... You know, animations recently, you've seen some about the uh, global temperature over time. They'll, you know, have it uh, uh, each year sort of overlaid on top of the previous one in an animation. And I always want to, like, stop it at the last frame so I can see all of them. But they don't, you know, they don't really support that, uh, at least in an animated GIF. Um, Right. I think the animation, uh, you know, everyone, you know, we have, you know, animated plots and we sort of, you know, got that when, when a lot of people did when, after seeing Hans Rosling do it. And I think, and that's actually where I think it works best is when it's uh, narrated, you know, when you've got someone sort of guiding you along, like he did saying, here's, you know, you know, here's the beginning here. We've got these countries, you know, here and these other countries over there and now watch them merge together as, as I go forward kind of thing. Um, but, you know, so when you've got that, the animation really, you know, supports, uh, you know, supports the message very well. Mm-hmm. But I'm just not. I, I'd usually just, you know, just show me the, show me the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, possible. I think you, yeah. I, I think you hit on something there because the the thing about the the Rosling piece is what was, what is so important about it is his narration of the graphs. But I think for most people, mm-hmm. we're creating graphs that are sort of like the one chart. Like here's the chart that go here's Figure One, and so we don't have sort of that ability to do that narration without maybe having the small multiples or having the, the, the panels. So I think it's a little mm-hmm. tricky, as it were, to sort of do the, the narration when you're in a static world where you don't have someone who's sort of leading you. You don't see what the endpoint is because they're going to walk you through it to that endpoint, as opposed to here's a page of the graphs and you can sort of see them all at one, at one shot. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's got the excitement in his voice and all that drama. And if you take that away and just look at the bubbles moving, you're not going to not going to get his message. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Which I think leads into a whole other discussion about uh, stories and data and narration that is a uh, topic close to my heart these days. But uh, we'll pause mm-hmm. on that and pick that up at, a, at another time. Um, okay. Zan, I want to uh, thank you for coming on the show. Also because now um, at least I know how to pronounce your first name. So hopefully others are, you know. Now have that. That's too. one of the great things about your podcast is I get to see, I get to find out how to pronounce everyone's name. <laughs> uh, I, I never would have guessed Elaine Harrison, for instance. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm trying right. to do. Just bring right. people together so they understand how to pronounce each other's names. So, um, so, right. so that's great. Zan, thanks right. so much for uh, coming on the show. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. And thanks to everyone for tuning in to this week's episodes. I will, of course, post uh, all of Zan's stuff, his makeovers and his videos to the show notes. And so if you have questions or comments or suggestions about this episode or any other episode for the show, please do get in touch on the website or on Twitter. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This episode of the Policy Viz Podcast is brought to you by Jump Statistical Discovery Software from SAS. Jump, spelled J-M-P, is an easy-to-use tool that connects powerful analytics with interactive graphics. The drag-and-drop interface of Jump enables quick exploration of data to identify patterns, interactions, and outliers. Jump has a scripting language for reproducibility and interfacing with R. Click on this episode's sponsored link to receive a free info kit that includes an interview with DataViz experts Kaiser Fung and Alberto Cairo. In the interview, they discuss information gathering, analysis, and communicating results.